0: Hello and welcome to the Australian Bitcoin Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Wilczynski. I just got back from the Bitcoin Bushbash in Cairns. Bitcoin Bushbash is a meetup that is held every few months in a regional town in Australia. So it was a meetup of around 50 people, 50 Bitcoiners from around Australia, and we met to talk about Bitcoin over drinks and food. There were some presentations. Everybody had a great time and I I very much enjoyed myself. Cairns is a lovely city. On today's show, we have Jeff Yu from Monochrome and formerly the CEO of Binance Australia monochrome is trying to start the first bitcoin etf in australia this will mean that any australian will be able to go to their share trading account such as comsec or whatever it is that they use and buy shares of a bitcoin etf if you don't know what etf stands for it stands for exchange traded fund shares in that bitcoin etf will represent ownership of Bitcoin that Monochrome holds in custody. It will mean that a lot of money in Australia that currently cannot access Bitcoin will be able to in- invest in Bitcoin. But we'll find out more about that in the show. The interview was recorded on 25th, July, 2023. Let's get on to the show and find out who is Jeff Yu and what's his history in Bitcoin.
1: Yeah, my, my journey with Bitcoin started way early before I joined Travel by Bid with Caleb in 2013. I I was really interested in what's happening across the world. You know, I think that time was the the aftermath of the Greek financial crisis, then followed by the Supreme Financial Crisis. There were government billions. The government was uh, confiscating people's savings from their bank accounts to save themselves from mistakes that is at no fault of the depositors. And uh, someone on Reddit just said that, you know, hey, you know, if it's Bitcoin, they wouldn't have the money confiscated because it's this decentralized money that is not controlled by the government. At first, it's like, how does this work? Because nothing like Bitcoin has ever existed before in any shape or form, at least in a digital world. We have barrel assets in the physical analog world, but in a digital world, Bitcoin is really the first invention of that. I didn't really understood a lot about Bitcoin but at the beginning, but over time, you know, you understand why things are built this way, why certain protocols are built this way. And um it led me to start a payment project in, in Bitcoin. I wanted to to build a payment point of system for accepting Bitcoin from merchants. That was like in 2016, 2017. Then Caleb from Travel by Bit, we met actually at a Bitcoin meetup. I I kicked I kicked off with Caleb because we have a we have a shared heritage of born in Malaysia. He, he was asking, like, what do I do? And a uh, Bitcoin geek that is building this stuff. And it turns out he needed a payment solution for his startup as well. And his startup was very much in the beginning, where it's gotten funding from the Queensland government to further tourism networks in regional Queensland, right? So uh, run by uh, a branch from the communities and communities regional Queensland. And it was, it was a cool project to like. People wouldn't otherwise otherwise visit these places if it weren't be like I can spend my Bitcoin there. We merged, we, we did things together, we did a lot of good stuff together. I was the chief product architect throughout that time. We partnered with Livering of Satoshi as well later on, and then we launched Brisbane Airport to accept Bitcoin. We had a network of merchants in, you know, in, in, city, in a city in Brisbane. We have you know, in the entertainment district in Brisbane, we also have uh, merchants all across the regional Queensland. It was fun, it's a fun time. I remember we did a video for lightning payments in like May of 2018, and it's like two months after, well, not it's not see Lightning, it was LND, I think, yeah, ds first alpha that went out, and then we, we had a product launch like two months later, and then we did this whole, you know, live on lightning travel with Lightning around, and it was like early 2018. I got like one or two viral videos out of it, but most people have forgotten that Brisbane was actually the first place in the world where you have the concept of people just using Lightning payments for stuff. Uh, same thing that what they did in, in in the Bitcoin Beach Project in El Salvador. Well, it's taken off very well. People are getting really excited, but it really happened and started in Brisbane.
0: I remember coming to Brisbane around that time and we were quite a few places around the city that accepted bitcoin i remember there was boost juice there was places in the airport and just walking around the city i'd walk around and uh, i'd see oh this place accepts bitcoin and they were it was always like a pleasant surprise and i guess that was all you guys
1: i guess like we, we were probably the most prominent player like we were the news and everything there were a couple of other projects at that time come and go Merchant payments isn't really a good, sustainable business that we realize. Effectively, it's more of a marketing tool for the business to advertise that they now accept Bitcoin and they get a new wave of customers that they wouldn't otherwise get. But it's not going to be replacing their, the core, the point of, system, point of sale systems that they're using where a credit card or cash. Well, back then, you still had a combination of cash and credit card, but very much today, since especially after COVID, you don't even see anywhere that takes cash anymore try I try sometimes to pay with cash and you know people look at me as I'm like, doing. Um, I, I think that there needs to be certain certain freedom of choosing how people want to pay for support for stuff without only relying on an instrument that is heavily susceptible to coercion and overtaken by corporations, you know whether it's surveillance or you know something like an Orwell kind of nightmare, right? So we'll we we do not want something or brilliant that concept uh becomes in Australia. So having the freedom to pay with Bitcoin it's a cool thing, but it's not gonna sway people from like ditching their credit card still. Like I still use my credit card. I, I like convenience of it, but paying with Bitcoin, paying lightning, like it, it also show that the technology was cool. It was used it's reusable And you know, every time people say that Bitcoin is too expensive or too slow, and then you show them lightning payments kind of you know shut them down and puts up a new aha moment in their heads. And oh, over the years it's very warming to see that the concept is being brought across the whole world. And then you got you know El Zonte, you got Bitcoin Beach, you have all these places around the world that are starting to do that in noticeable skill. Like right? we probably probably not the, like I say, we're not well, the only one, but we were the ones in Australia that did make a lot of noise at the beginning. And I think that whole attention of Bitcoin lightning mean, payments has shifted outside of Australia a couple of years ago.
0: You you certainly gave it a very good shot. It did seem to me like maybe it was a little bit early. I remember there was a restaurant, a sushi place in Adelaide, which accepted Bitcoin and used your travel the travel by bits point of sale. And I, I went there and whenever I went there, I bought my sushi with Bitcoin. But I asked the people there who else uses it and there weren't that many, unfortunately. So it was mostly me <laughs> and a handful of people who'd go to Adelaide meetup. But it was good that you guys were trying and definitely putting an effort. And you were one of the earlier ones who were doing it. From what I understand, then Travel by Bits got bought by Binance. Is that correct?
1: Well, the story is that Binance, back in 2017, 2018, right? You know, when when they when they when they start talking about Travel by Bit, it was I think in 2017, and Binance was a very different company then. It was a very young startup. They've just existed for a little bit over a year or so. Nobody really trusted Binance because there are all these players like Coinbase and other exchanges that are, that are here for a much longer time. So they wanted, they liked the idea that what we're doing, you know, the stuff that we're doing, all this payment stuff, caught attention very early on and they, they wanted a partner in Australia to explore how they can get into this market. In Australia is never really a big market for Binance because Binance, you know, operates globally and they have all these different, divisions across the world. Australia is always that kind of like small place that no one really cares about because of the population size. But we did we did make the case that, you know, maybe there is a chance that we can actually build a digital currency exchange here. And that eventually led to Binance Australia. Um, and it was an overnight success, but uh it was definitely a lot of work work behind to to get started. Probably the, the credit to the success of Binance Australia during my days was That we had a lot of autonomy over the local operation. Like we understood the culture, we understood the compliance network, we understood the relationship management with the banks, with payment providers. And most of all, we built something that was unique, right? It's like, you know, you either have brokerages in Australia that are charging a lot of money, ultimately buying Bitcoin on behalf of you on an actual exchange, right? Or you have like local exchanges, all the book exchanges that are just not very properly run the audible management's very poor liquidity is very poor because aussie dollar btc is just not as liquid as usd btc let's just face it we build that system out Um, it was an overnight success people were able to get exposure to to bitcoin through very transparent audible exchange like you you can see who are you buying and bidding against and at the same time it's low fee so it is it's cool it's cool while it lasted but i left I left around that late 2020, start of 2021 mark to to pursue my, you know, my desire to build out the institutional path for for Bitcoin in Australia because someone had to do it and I started Monochrome then.
0: So what do you make of all the troubles now that Binance is having? And for those who don't know, obviously Binance Australia has been debunked in Australia, so they can operate. We're still legally they're allowed to operate legally, as I understand it, we just don't have a bank to operate with. And, but we're also having a lot of regulatory and banking issues all over the world. And this isn't just me saying that, but it does look a little bit suspicious for boys more conspiracy-minded. It seems very coincidental that we're having all these troubles at the same time almost all over the world in different jurisdictions. And what makes it a little bit, also more suspicious is with the FTX saga, some of the stuff that came out of that, it seemed pretty clear that SBF, the C- uh, Sam Bankman-Fried, the CEO of FTX, which was a rival to Binance. but he was obviously making a lot of political donations and it was clear that he was trying to use the American regulators to privilege FTX and attack Binance, which is why, over drama, yeah. why Binance in turn kind of pulled the rug from underneath him. But like it seemed that he, will, he believed, at least SBF believed that he could high politicians and use regulators to attack Binance. And now we have all these troubles that Binance is having. So yeah, it all looks a little bit yeah. suspicious.
1: I'll give a take on that. Like so Binance Australia, when I was running it, is very different from Binance Australia after I left, right? So it was a it was ultimately a local, locally set up and run digital currency exchange. You know like block, for example, that had an international investor, and eventually they wanted more and more. It was very public that my departure was not very cordial. We had disagreements of how we we want to operate as the business become more and more successful. To a point, I felt that you know I, I can't continue running this business anymore. I and mean, you guys better find someone else at will. One of the core reasons is just because that you know digital currency exchanges. And I want to make this clarification: is that. Yes, it, they are registered with Austreg, and Austreg is the anti-money laundering transaction monitoring watchdog in Australia. Like they're very powerful, but they only look after the transaction monitoring, which is what they do. right? it's literally in their, in their name. But it doesn't have the same protection when it comes to financial products, you know, like your funds, like your ETFs, like your 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 insurance policy that has a PDS. Like none none of those protections. Exists in digital currency exchanges, and it's just because there is no regulatory regime for these businesses to fall under. You know there are voices over the years of crypto exchanges CEOs asking for regulation, but till today there is really none from from a from a investor protection uh, watchdog standpoint, which is in this case is ASIC. So over time, being a self regulate regulatory in environment with Binance Australia has over time led to disagreement on how and how we should prioritize self-regulatory actions and what sort of things that we should prioritize over that next international management has disagreements on how we as local management sees it to a point, you know, there was a stalemate for a very long time and we just didn't have to proceed. And guess that the only way is to remove myself out of the equation because I, I was the one that is blocking everything. I was a difficult, difficult child in there <laughs> and I just thought that I mean, it's not, not the kind of life I want to live, right? Because I, ultimately, I'm like, what am I doing? I'm here to further the adoption of Bitcoin, not playing company politics and taking unnecessary risks because um, the industry is just very opaque. But since they they took over more and more, um, the exchange has become, has become more of a localized arm for for Binance itself. and. I think that's where things really gone gone really downhill from that because they lost the local control and local touch. The say of what what needs to be prioritized is very much tip over the skills towards the favour of the international management. You know that that's always been a, a bad idea from the beginning. I've told them that, but they did not listen. But uh, it's none of my business now. You know, I focus on other stuff.
0: Why why did you want to start Monochrome and what 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 is Monochrome?
1: Monochrome is an investment management firm that specializes in regulated Bitcoin products. So what does it mean is that inven- inven- an investment management firm means that you know your BlackRock and those likes, we're not as big as them, obviously, but uh, we specialize in Bitcoin because this is where we grew up from. right? So we take Bitcoin, which is an unregulated asset, and put it into a regulated financial product so that people can access it safely as security. There is benefits to this for... For example, people that cannot access Bitcoin outside of the rectory perimeter, they have to do everything properly. And these people are, you know, some high networks or family offices or fiduciaries, where in charging of other people's money, right? So you can't throw them into the deep end of of um, self custody because self custody is it's 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 you know it, it, it is kind of safe if you know what you're doing. a self sovereignty in there compared to uh, trust. Uh, in the financial product, but from a legal perspective, uh you know, estate planning perspective, you know, dispute perspective, it is safer for them to put it into a compatible and familiar product structure. In this case, in the fund, so we operate the Monochrome Bitcoin Trust, and, a, and a, which is a retail authorised uh, managed investment scheme registered with ASIC that, uh, that holds the Bitcoin directly, allows for in-specie withdrawal of Bitcoin. On top of the option to take out cash, so that's, that's I think that's the unique part of this is that we've built the float the valve for people to actually withdraw a physical coin if they want to from a fund, unlike buy through grayscale or something, and your your money is stuck forever. And the only way for you to take money out is to sell your your unit to someone else. So um, that's sort of the difference that we here do here. Uh, we also have an application for the monochrome Bitcoin ETF with the ASX, the main stock exchange in Australia. Believe we're really the only one playing in that in that field, just because that we operate under the new crypto asset license authorization that ASIC has came out in late 2021. These very rare licenses was granted very sporadically, only in 2022, I believe, and there's none issued, you know, since Q4 of 2022 till today. It is gonna it's gonna be quite remarkable if that gets listed on the ASX. Um, it's gonna be Australia's first spot Bitcoin ETF. I do hope that you can get some get some love and support from the Bitcoin community, because it's also a Bitcoin ETF that you can take physical Bitcoin out, which is, I believe, is probably the only one in the in world. Only a Bitcoin geek would build something like that, to
0: be honest. I think So you have two products. So you have the current offering, which is live, that's the Bitcoin fund, and you have the product that you... Applying and trying to have, which is the Bitcoin ETF. That's correct.
1: Yeah, it's a uh, it's yes and no because it's not really actually two products. Actually, one product. Um, I I must make the remark that I it must not be seen as like I'm trying to say that the ETF listing would help drive the demand for the the unlisted trust because that's not the case here. I'm just making making sort of educational remarks of what they both are. So I'm not using the Bitcoin ETF to drive interest into the monochrome Bitcoin trust. So make, make it very clear to the, the audience here. What we did was that we built the monochrome Bitcoin trust, which is the same trust that is authorized to become the ETF from licensing level. And we built out what we call a dual track, dual track sort of channel, dual channel fund. So what it does is that it allows for the subscription and redemptions in two forms rather than just one from the stock exchange. So they, they, the users can, ineffectively, when the unlisted fund gets listed on the ASX, it becomes an ETF, the channel from the investor manager, which is true directly to us, can happen concurrently with the channels of subscription and redemptions from a stock exchange. So for example, you can buy Bitcoin, the Bitcoin ETF, the Bitcoin ETF from the ASX or ASX broker, and then redeem physical Bitcoin through Monochrome, or you can subscribe through Monochrome and sell, you know, the units on the ASX broker on the ASX or the ASX broker, for example. That is a very unique product. So we've been running that product for a couple of months now, just for a trial. You know, nothing has really, really stood stood out other than you know, it's functioning properly. We've been running wholesale funds for Bitcoin before the new licensing requirement came out. So we've been doing this for a good, you know, over two years now.
0: If I'm understanding it correctly, so you you have that fund, and basically there's two ways to access the Bitcoin fund that you have. One is to go directly for you from from you guys, which is for high net worth individuals and for kind of institutions. So they can directly go into the fund, and but that's not open to just your common retail investors. And then the ETF would be a way for retail mm-hmm. investors to ac- ac- get access to the fund through, yeah, through a traded fund. Is, is, so yeah. you basically not, that's not correct, exactly. right?
1: Not exactly. Both are retail accessible. So with the so the it's a, it's a dual channel dual channel fund. So. You can basically the fund itself is authorized for become the same thing. So have to be retail. So retail is able to retail investors uh, that that meets the investment criteria and agrees to the target market determination and PDS can choose to invest it through our share registry, which is atomic at the moment. That is what we call the investment channel route. When it gets when 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 and if it gets listed on ASX in the same fund itself, is the it's not gonna change, right? The underlying structure. The Bitcoin, the custody wallet, they are exactly the same. So it's just that we add a way for people to invest through an ASX broker or not through any chess you know, sort of system. The only difference is that the minimum minimum investment level is set while it's an unlisted fund directly to us because you know we don't want to be dealing with five dollar subscriptions and ten dollar subscription, the minimum investment is you know in the thousands. Whereas on a when it's on the ASX, you can buy as low as whatever the broker allows you to buy. So that's going to be the key differences there. But the fun exactly the fund is actually the same. It's all both retail accessible.
0: Right. And um, going to one of the reasons why doing the fund and why you need to do all those regulations. I, I spoke to a financial advisor here in Adelaide for a big financial advice company. And I was trying to hoping to try and get him to refer his customers to Hardblock. I, I was trying to get business. I met with him and he explained to me the problem that basically just doesn't work that way because he needs always regulated, he's in a very regulated industry and he needs to invest into this kind of regulated assets. He can't just tell his customers, invest his customers' money into hard block. It needs to be a specially packaged, regulated product, something like what you're doing. So there's a lot of these kind of people who have, there's huge amounts of money, I suppose, with these kind of financial advisors, mm. and they actually basically they can't invest in Bitcoin, and you're creating that product, which does tick all these boxes that they need to tick so they can actually invest.
1: Yeah, that's right. I mean, like re- realistically, the the ease of use for crypto exchanges, you know, because they are more more in the unregulated in the area like the product that they can offer the type of marketing they can do they're going to be more attractive to most retail customers you know so you know these these what we call the uh, the, the crypto casinos right when it's a regulated product it's very much rules 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 and security 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 so there is very little room for us to be able to do any spooking remarks like buy now or you get an email from the crypto actions, getting to spin this wheel or this coin just ten x buy now. Those are not allowed in a regulated financial product. You'll get in serious trouble if you do that. So because of that, because it's also protected, the advisors love it. It's the product that they can access, under certain circumstances if they tick those boxes for them, which um, in in a regulated fund because it's just a security, it's no longer Bitcoin. It is in, a, in a, if it's listed on the S X, then it's a it's a listed security. It gives them a bit more comfort. And also, they know that by putting their customers' money into, you know, a proper regulated fund, they won't be bombarded by gamification and all the stuff, always trying to get people to trade and always trying to get people to sell or buy something. And this is not the traditional financial markets um, operate like that's spooking spooking remarks and stuff like that is very very much seen, you know, as a. As a more cowboy move, and no one really does that, because A, you can get in trouble. B, you have a reputation that you can lose. So yes, the, the product is very much built for the highest, highest level of accessibility. If you're a fiduciary, if you're a financial advisor, or if you're a high net worth your family office, people that cannot legally deal with unregulated crypto exchanges, it's not a problem with crypto exchanges because there's really no regulation that to apply under, which is not their fault. But you know, it just it is what it is. There's no regulation it means that they cannot access it legally. They'll get in trouble with their licenses. They can get in trouble with their complaints if they you know, people have nowhere to complain. Um, and also, uh, they can get in trouble with their insurance. Something happens, they get they, they get they get sued. If you know they've recommended someone to to a, an FTX, for example, and FTX lost their money. They can really get in, in deep deep trouble um, with uh with with ASIC and also with uh, the insurance companies covering professional indemnity for them. So that's why um, Australia really do need proper regulated Bitcoin product. And we're not talking about some random wholesale fund. It's just, you know, in a buyer's beware region, some of them are not better than a crypto exchange for, you know, just package it up nicely. But in a probably ASIC registered retail, you know, managed investment scheme that has a, specific license authorized on top of the license on the AFSL to handle the, the product and handle the asset class and even better if it's listed on the main stock exchange. You know, but you know these these are not advice, you know, don't don't take this as any uh, forward looking uh, statements for you to go and touch the product because Bitcoin is not for everybody. You know, there is certain risks of the asset class in a product that people need to be aware of. There's two, there's two. problems mainly with advisors, right? One is uh, one is the the appetite. Like first, they gotta ask the question: Like, do we as a firm or, or the licensee for the advice firm, do we as a firm want to deal with Bitcoin? You know, because they see Bitcoin as this like risky asset. They've heard of all this collapses of FTX. They kind of draw the conclusion that oh, you know, this is too too Wild West, right? It's like the early days of the internet, right? You know, people use it for good things. People use it for bad things. But eventually, the good one survives. And uh, we, we've come to a point where BlackRock and these guys have endorsed the asset class, which is a really, really gonna move that psychological barrier for a lot of advisors that are still stuck in the mindset that Bitcoin is just a dirty asset because it's it's actually not, they just need to do more research. But really, do help them get across that yes, we want to do it, and then how we're we gonna do it. Most advisors would tell you that, yeah, we're not gonna touch it. We know what Bitcoin yet, yeah. trust me, it's gonna go to zero. Like I can't change my mind, right? And then with those, yeah, that's fine. We're not, we're not going to be able to convince them. They just have to gonna be you know, able to adapt to, to, a, to a change where if all the other peers are able to, to offer Bitcoin products, some even offer it at a premium because it's such a rare offering, and be able to gain customers' trust over time because of that, as opposed to being that advisor that's constantly telling people, no, 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 no Bitcoin, no Bitcoin, without getting any good reasons when everyone else is really doing it. And then their clients would slowly question: Is this an objective decision for you to not want to to talk about Bitcoin, or is this your your own bias that are prohibiting yourself from giving me the best advice, you know, as a client? So that is something that advisors need to get across. The second thing is the demand. So we've known that over over the years, every advisor in Australia, like if you have multiple clients, you will have. Intermittent demand and request about this Bitcoin stuff, five, six, seven, eight years ago, right? If you're in the industry, you'll definitely hear your clients asking about Bitcoin. And most of the time, because of the, the first part that I said, you know, most of the answers is like, yeah, um, we don't know, we can't talk much about this. Um, or some are just play to me, like, ha, it's a scam, it's a Ponzi, like it's gonna go to zero, trust me. Ha ha. You know, that's 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 also the, that's people like that as well. But the important thing is that for this demand to keep coming because Over the years, we've seen a lot of people that have advice relationships slowly moving that whole Bitcoin conversation away from their advisors. Because they know, like I've asked him like five times in the last five years about Bitcoin, and he's telling me and stonewalling me and saying that it's impossible, this is gonna go to zero. And I look at like, hey, look at MicroStrategy, you know, hey, look at BlackRock, you know, what's happening? Like everyone that is more, way, way, way more traditional way more conservative and more mainstream than these advisors are telling me that this asset class is ready you know, for institutional investment. So over the years, the conversation has shifted to Bitcoin-centric advisors. There aren't good Bitcoin advisors in Australia. They, these people are helping high net worth individuals and, and companies even so to navigate themselves properly into the crypto space, in the Bitcoin space. And then they're no longer having that relationship, especially about Bitcoin, with their own advisors. And some advisors take that as like, aha, you know, nobody's asking me about this Bitcoin, Bitcoin stuff anymore. Then my job is done. Bitcoin is dead, right? I don't, I don't even care about it. But that is a wrong approach. It shows that your client no longer trusts you on a, you know, effectively an, an entire asset class, an entire industry. Your client is no longer having that trust in their relationship to get you to talk to them about it. And advisors should see that as a problem, not as a signal that. There is no demand, right? And so this is what my message is like. If any of the listeners you have an advice relation, you have an advice, you don't come directly to us. You know we know that you guys come directly to us and ask about Bitcoin and we can help you out. But you should first talk to your advisors. Tell them that you want this want this stuff properly done and, and how and things like that. If you don't talk to them, they they would not feel that there is an urgency. There's actual real demand behind it, and it also helps internally their business case to put in resources to look into this asset class. If an advisor does an objective look through on Bitcoin, it's like, this thing is a complete sham, garbage, and whatever, then put out research explaining why it's a scam, why it's a Ponzi, and why people should not touch it. Don't leave it as like, I think, or my experience in Bitcoin, is, and it turns out it's a Dogecoin related thing, right? It's very common. People just put the sins of some random crypto random shitcoin on Bitcoin and and then criticize Bitcoin about it. It's that. You have to have that conversation with industry experts. You have to have that conversation with your clients to not just build their knowledge, but continue that trust. Because if you're not going to do this, I know a lot of advisors that are that are that are, that are themselves about this asset class. Some big big ones are starting to create divisions, specifically looking at that. Especially when the guys like BlackRock is already coming to the space, and I've also seen advisors moving from licensees to a different licensee because they find that. Yeah, the current licensee is just too headstrong against Bitcoin. And there's no rational explanation of why they're rejecting this other than other than their own cell phone buyers. So they're moving to someone else. They're, they're bringing that business to someone else, a different licensee that is more friendly towards that. So I know it's a bit of a rant, but um stop coming directly to us. You know, it's kind of like stupid for me to say that. But if you want Bitcoin. Obviously, you can come to us, but stop coming directly to us and only to us. You have to have that relationship and that talk with your advisor. You have to keep that conversation alive with them. Get get them, get them think, get them thinking, get that urgency into them. Not otherwise, they will just think that you know no one wants this anymore because no one's asking me for the last
0: six months. And your customers, are they do they tend to be high net worth individuals or is it institutions, businesses?
1: Yeah, there's a combination of high net worth individuals that were previously burned by the experience with crypto exchanges. So, most most high net worth individuals, like, they don't really have a lot of information presented to them about Bitcoin maybe five, six years ago. So, what they did commonly is that they relied on a trusted family member or a friend or trusted friend of a family member to manage those stuff. And, you know, they would have whole Bitcoin on behalf of them on the Trezor or on a crypto exchange. And there's gonna always going to be relationships that turn sour. Like we've we've seen where people realize after all these years, the money is no longer there in the first place because the way that they are, they're, they're, you know, to them, it, to them it's like you're not going to change their life, but then they learned a the very important lesson of you have to do this properly. If you really think this asset class is going to grow the way you think it is, your opportunity costs of just blatantly losing your bitcoin because of carelessness like it's going to cost you a lot in the future so you have to do it properly and that's sort of way right, where we step in and also we've seen visors themselves as well they're using the product because they really want to understand the products so that they can actually vice and eventually build into the products themselves you know we have people that are just retail clients that are just looking to to diversify the way that they hold bitcoin or they were just previously not just they just don't trust you know unregulated crypto exchange for you know one reason or another so they're looking for something that is properly regulated yeah i mean it's it's, it's really you know we don't push we don't push any marketing it's really as in where people come because we really want to build out the product that that is the best and the most regulated product in the market and uh, we can only do that with collaborative feedback from different arrays and different types of the, the investors some of them existing investors. In the old fund, um, you know, some of them are new investors. But I think with the AS when when the ASX listing happens, and if it happens, then that thing would dramatically change. We basically have a wide valve of new investors that will come into Bitcoin that wouldn't otherwise touch, you know, unregulated pathways.
0: So when you do that ETF, people will be actually able to withdraw Bitcoin from the ETF.
1: Because yeah, because it's a fund, you're not you're not going to be able to withdraw the Bitcoin from your, your your ASX broker, right? Or your superheroes and whatnot, because they don't have the instruments to help you do that. But because it's the same fund, you basically own the interest in the same fund. And because it's dual track, the same interest can be redeemed directly from the investment manager and investment manager, which is us, for what we call an in specie redemption. So the Bitcoin is physically delivered, so I think in the PDS, we did mention the physical coin delivery method. It is a bit; it's a bit slow because it's cold storage. Bitcoin needs to be taken out and proof and things like that. There is a bit of a there's a bit of a management uh, admin fee to to run out the whole process. It's not going to be as as cheap as a crypto exchange where because just API based and you're sending on a hot wallet. Whereas this one, everything is very manual and, and things like that. But that's an option at least, rather than locking into into a structure where you you cannot get out in a more flexible fashion so we believe that cool thing about Bitcoin is that you have the ability to self custody is unlike any like most assets in any asset classes traditionally outside so keeping that valve open is like like selling someone's a house but also selling them a nuclear bunker behind it together you know, so that they have an option to to self-custody right they want same way like I, I believe that like uh, most people believe in self-custody do miss out a point that self-custody basically means that you become your weakest link where i've seen people that are really really well into self-custody and maybe a rough six months of their life something happened you know the girlfriend left or something happened to their family members and then they're not in the right mental state and then boom you know lost the keys or did something stupid or did something they didn't realize after that it was going to affect you know the security of their of the of their custody solution themselves And then we've seen we even seen like Bitcoin developers themselves got into that problem, right? So you know it is it is an option for people to do it, but we advocate for self custody as a pro of Bitcoin as a seller. You have the option, but we we don't we just don't have the heart to, especially for our clients, to advocate that you should self custody because most of them they're gonna lose their keys hundred percent if you if you just tell them self custody, and that's just not the responsible thing to do. And in a financial product, there's insurance, there's all this preventive and reactive mechanisms in place for investors to make sure that the assets are safe. It is, a, it is very much different. It's, you know, it's a, it's a set and forget thing for them versus something that they have constantly being on edge and on top of if they're doing self-custody versus doing the proper regulated fund. But we keep that option alive for them if they want to.
0: I think everybody understands that withdrawing the Bitcoin, it's not going to be just like a simple thing. It's probably going to take maybe weeks, and there'll be like a large fee involved. I think that's understandable. But I think it's very exciting and interesting because it creates that confidence. Okay, if I can withdraw Bitcoin, and if it's possible, that probably means you have the Bitcoin. It creates more confidence in your fund. And to give a counter example, it's the famous issue what happened in the 70s and 80s with the gold where France was holding gold in the United States and wanted to withdraw that gold and United States, sorry, you can't do that, which might a lot of people question is United States holding the gold it's supposed to do. So it's kind of like a confidence thing, even if it's like a troublesome and long process, the fact that people can withdraw Bitcoin from your fund, I feel that gives it a lot more confidence. Okay. You probably have the Bitcoin.
1: Yeah, and because it's all, all cold storage, there's no hot wallet kind of nature of uh, you know cold, cold you know this cold wallet setup, right? So there is going to be transparency in the wallet address as well. People can see how much fund is is in total reported, and also how much Bitcoin is in the fund from a blockchain level. I mean, it's easy to do, like you know, it's just a, it's just a wallet address that you publish. But I don't think most funds actually actually do it because. Could be because they're holding the the funds coming through in exchange water somewhere, which is quite common in wholesale funds. But you know, as a as a as a proper proper um, retail fund that that needs to meet RG one two three for custody and everything, especially specifically for crypto assets like Bitcoin. That that, that that that's why I say that just because it's a retail fund, retail funds in Australia, it's very very paternal from a regular standpoint they look after everything
0: i've got another question which you probably hate do you have any timelines when do you obviously you don't know for sure it's not up to you but when do um, you like think is a realis- realistic timeline for this to be live
1: so t- typical typically the application will take any for like for traditional products and take anywhere from six to ten weeks you know realistically maybe eight to ten weeks Uh, We think that because this is Bitcoin is going to take towards the fine of that, you know, we 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 try to do everything we can to make sure that the application is bulletproof. But because of the nature of the asset class, it might drag on a little bit, and we expect some delays for that. So not going to surprise us if it does. Plus, you know, when the final thing is ready to go live, you would usually have a two week period, two week period before actually goes live on the the exchange. So uh, that will be a time where we'll start to do more heavy marketing and whatnot. It's very different from the US, right? It's like US, SEC still has to approve the ETFs. In Australia, the monochrome Bitcoin ETF is already approved by ASIC on the AFSL. It's actually named on the AFSL. If you look it up on an AFSL search registry, you can actually find the words monochrome monochrome Bitcoin ETF on there. So um, we're fortunate that we don't have to go through that process again like the US and the BlackRock ETF and those sort of off likes. We just have to work through the multiple operators, in this case, the stock exchange to make it
0: happen. By this time next year we could be seeing uh an no, ETF? No, no, no,
1: not not this time next year. I'm gonna, i gonna I I think that's gonna be within this year.
0: Within this year. Well that's really that's really exciting. Yeah.
1: Because it's uh, it's not it's it it sounds like it's it's just sprung up from nowhere but like, dude, we've been working on this for, for a good part of two and a half years.
0: Right, right, right. <laughs> a lot of people have been trying to make Bitcoin ETFs for in the United States for many years now. And it just seems to be a process that is not really going anywhere. But recently, a lot of people have been excited because BlackRock, which is a very mainstream business who a big american company which does is very responsible for isha's from what i understand and iShares it's a very common etf so they do etfs for everything yep. that's like their business they do etf they know this business their, their, their business is etfs and they're actually applying for a bitcoin etf so that seems like very exciting yeah, so I guess, do you think they will get approved? What's your take on this? The BlackRock ETFs and yeah. what's happening outside of Australia.
1: The BlackRock Bitcoin ETF is very significant, more significant than most sort of Bitcoin Twitter things because I've been I've been on top of a lot of the comments and feedback of what people think that it's going to be. But people really don't understand what BlackRock is to begin with, right? So BlackRock doesn't take on the clients. If you if you're a hundred million Net worth, like you're too small for BlackRock. BlackRock, no way, right? If you're a you know a company with a profit of you know one billion dollars, like you're maybe right. So BlackRock primarily primar- only deals with the big, 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 big installs. Like they are, their their clients include other asset managers, includes governments, include countries. So you know when SEC collects this like really big corporate fines, you know when it's like some. Inside a trading, charge and then they charge a company and they pay like a hundred million dollars. Like where does it go to? It goes into BlackRock because they manage the SEC's money or things like that. Like any government agencies, any institutions, super fund, pension funds, if they are big enough, they usually with either BlackRock or Vanguard, right? So BlackRock doesn't do things without a demand, and this is why the BlackRock moving to Bitcoin has really shaken a lot of preconceptions on Bitcoin. You know, in, the, in the people that has like biases against Bitcoin in the traditional space, the way that BlackRock has moved the space and the way that Larry Fink talks about Bitcoin, it sends a really chilling message to everyone else that is outside of this awareness and awareness circle. It means that someone wants Bitcoin so much, and these are not like your multi-millionaires. These are not your ASX 200 companies. They're too small. They're like bigger people, countries and whatnot. That wants Bitcoin, and hence BlackRock is addressing that demand by creating a Bitcoin ETF for them. That that's that's the whole reason, like right, that. Usually, when BlackRock builds a product, so all these financial professionals they're now guessing like who can, who's the one driving the demand behind this, right? Because on one hand, they go like, well, every one of my trading desk still thinks Bitcoin's a scam, and boom, suddenly Larry Fink says that it's better than Digital Gold and better than Gold. And then it's like to them, there's a certain level of denial. You know, we we have friends that works in, in, in firms. You know, the first week when they announce, people go like, like is that real? You know, why would they do that? And then a the second group is like, oh shit! You know, this is actually real. What what do they know that we don't know? And then uh, you know the third week onwards, they kind of go like, Well, maybe we should really revisit this Bitcoin thing, it's not really going away. And then slowly, then the fourth week they give us a call, you know. <laughs> so, so we have that see that progression of that. So the BlackRock move has signaled a psychological shift in how traditional finance would use Bitcoin in in a much bigger magnitude than anyone could have, even Michael Saylor, right? So the the, the chances of them getting approved, I think is very high. But I think biggest elephant in the room is that then what happens to the Binance, the Coinbase, because that is something that we've seen people sort of draw correlation to like how is it that the charges against Coinbase and Binance happens at the same time when BlackRock decides to follow the, the coin ETF? Yeah, I think there's a certain degree of washing out the bad actors before they introduce the hero kind of thing going on. And the question is that will, you know, will they pressure Binance to die first before they let the ETF goes up or they do it at the same time and micro becomes the hero of Bitcoin. I think that's sort of yet to be seen. But I think that the biggest hindrance to an ETF approval is probably the still l- lurking. So like what will happen to Binance? What will happen to CZ? That kind of stuff. This thing plays out in against the favor of Binance. It would be really bad for Binance and thus the most of the retail driven crypto space for a moment. And then... BlackRock can scoop in and just save the day and maybe even mark their unit price lower and then the chart looks good. You know, who knows? But that's just speculation. All, all in all, the BlackRock move into Bitcoin is probably the most significant thing for the psychological shift in the naysayers of Bitcoin from probably in existence. So you know it's 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 very big news.
0: Testing, testing. I hope it's ready for recording. I hope you enjoyed that show and learned something from it. If you would give the show a review on your podcast player, that would greatly help us out. Happy stacking, and see you next time.